to record. Now I am. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Hello and welcome to Exiting Through the 2010s, a podcast about the movies from the 2010s. I am Jack oh, Draper. With me, it's Claire Williams and Ricky Camilleri from the 30 Years Later podcast and the Build series. Um, I was wondering if we could go around and talk about... Hello. What what all three of us are, or which one of us is the mole, the air, and the sea? Like, if we could be in like one location, fit ourselves, uh, uh, plug into to each spot <laughs> uh, here. Yeah. Yeah. How are we with heights? I'm. I want to say I'm cool, but I don't know. That I I it's this is one of the few movies where I'm like you could hey, want to go in a you could be like the passenger I don't know if I want to like happen to fit too like, like drive it give directions or and coordinate pilot it that's the word I mean um, that's not here mm, yeah yeah that requires math though I'm, I don't know um but no I don't know like I just seen some of those like IMAX shots. Um, obviously, on yeah. you got um, a cool mask on, and a cool uh, jacket. TV screen, but seeing those shots of them in the air is like fuck. That looks pretty fucking cool. Um, uh, mm. Yeah, I want to say that I'm the air, and I'm 100% Tom Hardy, like saving the day in the air and sacrificing myself <laughs> to the Nazis in order to save the day. But I'm more likely Barry Keoghan <laughs> in the in the sea who, you know. Decides that he wants to go and then gets like a light elbow to the face by a soldier and fucking dies. <laughs> like, like I and and yeah. falls. Like seems to get like a very light falls shove down a, a small and then perishes due to it. Just cracks yeah. his head no. open. That's on not some a very large bone. No. That would be that. Yeah, the stairs are not large. Quite like I. Four steps. That at scene. Most. That scene should mm-hmm. almost. Yeah. Not no. Work. No. No. Okay. So double. So double warning. Stop me if I'm going off too long on this analogy because it might not make sense at all. And if it doesn't, no, cut it. it out. I'm already. But I'm in already March, fine. in March, I saw Bruce Springsteen, and in the middle of the show, he stands on stage and he goes. He does this thing that is like a parody of a parody of a parody of Bruce Springsteen. It's him alone with his acoustic guitar. And he talks about the first band that he was in. And he says something along the lines of like, at the end of it, he goes, it was 1968. It was a great year in the history of America. And it was a great year for rock and roll. Let's go. And you're like, all corny filters are firing in my head. And they're going like, this is the corniest shit I've ever seen. But tears are streaming down my face. Because it's also like in, it's also Bruce Springsteen doing it, and it's so beautiful, and like you're getting to see him do it. So Barry Kilgan going down and laying down and being like, "This is the best thing I've ever done. I've always yeah. wanted this. I would prove myself in school." Every part of me is going, "Who the fuck is this kid?" <laughs> like we we know almost nothing about this child, and it almost doesn't work because it's like the exact monologue that you should give that character. But Nolan's just good enough to have set it up just enough with that line as he's getting on the boat to be like, no, I'm like to be told that he's going he's going into war and being like, I can be useful. And then the irony is that he's not useful. And then we find out why he wanted to be useful. So it's actually like really good storytelling versus just trying to find an emotional hook for this character's death. It's really 
really well done and it stops i mean it stopped me from sitting there and being like this is so oh, corny yeah. of like of, of course this is what he's saying and instead being really emotional and having, <laughs> having tears come eyes just like you know bruce springsteen saying his catchphrases on stage i don't know if that analogy works um, but no it works perfectly it works perfectly like the eighth most important character ninth and yet you're getting this like emotional hook but also it works because he's not the most important character and it's like you're not weighing the entire movie on that kind of um that kind of mistake for um for the nobility for um Oh, no, I'm trying to. It's like this movie doesn't matter about character names, and I'm still like trying to remember them. But but for Mr. Dawson to then make that decision to carry on and and how they'll handle Killian Murphy. Um, I think you. I think you. I mean, I'm I'm with you. I know what you're saying. He's like the eighth most important character for the plot, but I think he's the most important character for the emotional undercurrent of the movie uh, because the guy decides to keep going. The boy. Uh, decides not to tell uh, Killian Murphy that he killed him in order for him to feel better. And at the end, when we're getting this whole, when we're getting Churchill's speech from the newspaper, a good portion of that is spent showing us how they made Georgie look like a hero. So it's like this idea that like, you know, the cliche of heroes come in all, in all shapes and sizes, but the sacrifice that he made that we saw is the greatest sacrifice at all of all for the purpose of, uh, you know, uh, uh, of, of this battle. And he, he, his death allows other people to sort of, to, to, to make very smart or not very smart, but very, um, to grow like that boy grows by telling the soldier he's not dead. Cause at first he tells him he's really, he's hurt really bad. And then when he finds out he's dead, he says, you know, he's going to be, he's going to be fine. So Georgie's death, in a way, like helps this boy grow. Definitely. I don't know. I think it's I, I plot wise eighth most. I think emotionally, it might be the most important character in the movie. I think I agree. Um, I also think Kenneth Branagh is also very important for the film as that moral center, but also that he's the most direct leader mm -hmm. of the film. But the entire film is about. I believe uh, I'm looking on Wikipedia. His character name is Integrity. Um, is that? Is that right? Oh, there you go. Um, yeah, I think that's I think that's right. Uh, but I think his character, like, yeah, is the moral center. It is the mo, and he's the most outwardly of a leader. Um, but this film is about tough deci tough decisions and leadership. Um, and a series of tough decisions, like mentioned, uh, you know, do I tell the soldier? Um, do I tell Killian Murphy that he's dead? Do I keep going? Uh, do we keep going to Dunkirk even though this, you know, the boy's seriously injured? Do I go on uh, to give air support to the beach, or do I keep, or, or do I fight this bomber that's about to uh, blow up one of the transport ships? Do I uh, keep the sh the one of the evacuating, uh, you know, the ship with all of the injured? Do I do we keep that strung to the bow, or do we just let it sink? and let them burn alive um it's all about these you know very specific moments in these extremely hard decisions and what and how you can kind of be your best self even the best self in those moments 
and how war makes you uh, inspired to do the right thing, but also in but then you have the dichotomy of inspired to do the wrong thing. Mm-hmm. We're like, do we do we force this Frenchman to go outside so he can get shot? Do we? Um, should I? And he also makes a decision earlier. The French guy is like, do I open? Um, do I risk my life by opening that door? to let those people out. It's all these like very specific moments that Nolan kind of holds on. What do they do in that moment? Mm-hmm. What is like what is their course of action? It's all these paths and these um like kind of different scenarios that they all have to kind of be confronted with. Uh, and they all make various choices. There's not one like not all of them are sacri- you know sacrifice themselves. Not all of them um are the most uh uh, what's it? What, what is the word I'm trying to look for? They're not trying to be the role model of the entire military. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they're just looking to survive themselves. Because if this movie is based um, on the idea of resilience, then it's like all of these moments are based around like these characters making pivots that will get them to surviving. And it's not like the entire movie is based on uh, Branagh's choice for X, right? Which is like such a smart decision. Um, I love that we're getting right into this. This it's it's a movie a lot to, to a lot to unpack. Um, but before did we, we do, say, did we even say what movie? We're about? <laughs> yeah, this is this is Dunkirk. A pretty. I mean, if they're pre- they, they should be able to read the title. <laughs> yeah, this, right, right, right. But it's a pretty major film of the decade. I think it's probably one of the defining war pictures. I, I, pro- I mean, in my estimation, like the defining war picture, which is not even like really considered a war picture by Nolan. Like. Like he considers it like a horror thing. Like he has that quote, right? Um, like it's, it's. What's the quote? Um, like, like he said something where it's like, "Oh, that's my horror movie," or like, "I shot it like a documentary." It's not like he used uh, the phrasing, but and he didn't even like use dumb thing to say. I, I know, but like, <laughs> and and I, it's such a filmmaker, right? Thing to exactly, say. <laughs> exactly. But he, and he also have he has like this list of movies they showed the cast, um, and like two of them were war movies, and by that it's just like really the inspirations weren't in that genre. But um, before we get into our first exposures to Dunkirk, when we have a guest on for the first time, we like to learn a little bit about yourself and talk about the movies that got you into movies. And if any come to mind first that brought you sort of like um, expanding your horizons into like what, what cinema could be. What has happened is a colossal military disaster. We shall go on to the end. We shall never surrender. We have to go to Dunkirk. Ready on the stern line. What are you doing? You know where we're going. Into war, George. I'll be useful, sir. What about? He's on me. I'm on him. The ship's about to leave. 
They need to send more ships. Every hour the enemy pushes closer. They've activated the civilian boats. Civilians? We need destroyers. Where are we going? Dunkirk! I'm not going back. We or they will die. You're weekend sailors, not the bloody navy. You should be at home! There's no hiding from this, son. We have a job to do. Turn it around! We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall never surrender. We shall never surrender. We shall never surrender. Where's the bloody Air Force? I'll try to do it quickly. Um, so I would say that the first movies that I really got to kind of uh, understand a filmmaker behind them in terms of like a fan base would probably be when I was really young and it was like Kevin Smith and Mallrats and I was probably like very in middle school and so I watched Mallrats and Clerks and Chasing Amy and I think to me at the age of like 14 Chasing Amy was like high art in a way because it was so low budget and it was about risque topics and uh, if you, you would know, like to I, talk I about back, any 2010s Kevin Smith it's all yours please we would not want to I haven't I haven't I haven't seen okay. any and I don't want to <laughs> because um I mean I I, I I have somewhat of a soft spot for Chasing Amy and Clerks mm -hmm. because of how it looks but I largely find his movies unwatchable mm -hmm. uh at this point but from there, I think I saw I think I saw Boogie Nights when I was like fourteen, and uh, thirteen or fourteen, and you know the opening shot of Boogie Nights is like a really great uh, if you're if you're just getting into movies and you're young, it's a really great kind of like snap. Yeah. This is what this is what a movie can do, yeah. and you can very quickly you can watch Boogie Nights, look up an interview, and then get like a list of movies to go watch, and so that became kind of like the education. And I was always drawn to, uh, even at a young age, I think in movies, emotional violence. And so I guess to end this, I saw a movie uh, this past week at Metrograph in New York. I saw Lars von Trier's The Idiots, which is his uh, dogma film, which is about a group of people in a commune who... Um, was this his following, uh, a follow-up to Breaking the Waves? It was like around that era. Around that era, mm -hmm. yeah, I believe, and I don't know if you guys know what Dogma '95 was, but it was. Um, do you guys know what that mm -hmm. is? Do I? Do yeah. You, okay, um, and so it's his Dogma film. It's like number three or six or something like that, post Vinterberg's mm -hmm. um, the celebration, and it's about a group of people who uh, pretend that they are uh, have ment have have mental disabilities and go out in public and try to provoke and 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 uh, and, and get people upset with them. And it's all handheld video, no lights. And, you know, in 1998 or 99, whenever it came out and I saw it, uh, it was just so mind-blowing to me that something could be so provocative, could be so emotionally brutal at times, and also just be so, uh, like, low budget. And the way that he jump cut and cut between people also felt really brutal. And so watching that movie, you know, uh, the other day in the theater, I, I distinctly remembered being 15 
and trying to show it to all my friends. <laughs> oh my god! And being like, "This is the movie. You got to see this movie." No, it's and my turn to pick watch. the movie. It's my turn. <laughs> yeah, you know, and the way that the movie ends, like, is this? I'll try to say this without spoilers, but like, this like completely shattered woman goes back to her family who have been missing her after a tragedy for weeks, and she pretends out of nowhere to be disabled in front of them and they lose their shit and smack her and then the movie just kind of abruptly cuts to black and to me at 16 i was like yeah that's the move that's how you do it that's what a movie needs to be and i just remember very distinctly in that moment forcing friends to watch that movie so that's kind of like i think uh you know and from there it has just it's sometimes my taste have closed and sometimes they've reopened more widely and, and close more. I was definitely anti-Nolan for, for a mm. while. Uh, but um, I think I think Dunkirk kind of kind of brought me back, but then Tenet shut me out again. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but hey, in about a month, there's a bomb yeah. that's going off that, hey, could bring you back again. Um, hey, yeah. I'm excited. Yeah. I'm excited to see it. I've reached the point in my movie-loving career or life where... If uh, you know you're giving a serious filmmaker a hundred million dollars and they're making an original movie, I'm gonna get out there and uh, I'm gonna I'm Definitely. gonna see it. Especially in, the, in these times where that's more rare. But yeah, um, and even though I don't like Tenet, he's a real filmmaker. Yeah. He really knows what he's doing, and so you can't deny it. my 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 issue with Tenet. Without getting too into it, was that I felt like every set piece was deconstructed to the point of no longer being a set piece, and I was and I was just I was just bored by them. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, let's not let's not yeah. get into it. That's did that answer your question? Yes, yes. Um, yes. But I love that okay. the films you chose of the '90s were so. Clay is like, yes, it did. No more. <laughs> Sorry, Thank no. You. I knew I knew how that sounded. I that was not my intention. My bad. No, I yeah. know, I know. Um, but no, I just love that what you what you picked were so representative of the '90s and like what was going on in that time, um, and the ages that you saw them were. In, um, were so formative because for me also I wasn't too much older when I saw Boogie Nights and I recently saw that in theaters as well um, and mm. it, there's so it much just, fun it brings you just it, it you're absolutely right it jolts you to what what a movie can be and there's such timelessness about that one um, and you can watch it at any age um, I mean, not any age, but like you can watch it at any age as like a, a teen upwards, uh, and and gain new things from it, and, and it's just it says so much about like self acceptance, and uh, yeah, it's yeah that one that one's just how you know. how big was Wahlberg's fake donger in the bit on the you big can screen. practically touch it, right? Yeah, that's you can assume. practically walk up there, um, and, yeah, just slap just it, slap it. Um. <laughs> That's I'm a big, funny. big star. Yeah, I'm a, a big, big, bright, I'm shining big, star. Yeah, everybody has the one special thing. Yeah, everybody has the yeah, yeah. We've at, so we've at. I don't know how many guests we've had on this podcast, but a lot. Um, and we've asked that question to every single one. I'm trying to think if someone has mentioned Kevin Smith in their answer. I feel like there must have been someone. Nobody, nobody wants to cop to it because he's so bad. But if you were there. In in like ninety three, ninety four, and you were that. I've age. heard that especially he about chasing huge, Amy. I've heard, yeah. He was a huge fucking deal. Mm-hmm. He was oh, yeah. like the like a god of independent film. It was like 
him and Tarantino, and Smith was like a little bit cooler because his movies were that much cheaper. And that's completely and that showing. And he stayed that, independent. It mm-hmm. felt like for longer. And that's showing the generational yeah, I mean, difference because, like, for me, he's always been like the IMDb TV guy that's interviewing yes. like uh, Comic Con panels and the Fat Man on Batman podcast, like sort of a caricature of '90s Kevin Smith. I mean, like to and. Well, but not not to say that's entirely him, but that was my first impression. You know, there was a recent interview with Taylor Sheridan where he said, Hollywood will tell you where you need to be. Mm. And so maybe Kevin Smith is finally where he needs to be. <laughs> hey, he's living his best life. I don't right. care. Yeah. It's one of those things where I'm just like, I mean, yeah, sure. You can stay there. Whatever works for you, man. Um, better than, better than uh, having to succumb to another one of his movies at this point, to be honest. Right. Right. He's not making movies. But or or Clerks no. Three. Clerks Three. Like Clerks Three. That's right. Yeah. Oh, as soon as I count. say that. Um, it's not a real movie. Uh, I. It's you know it's bad when I have to go with like he's not making movies right and then I have to remember a movie he made just a year ago. Like that's not that's not good. I think it's very important for every film lover or whatever need to recognize and kind of wear on their sleeve the embarrassing part of their film watching i think it's i I, like for me it's like that when i was like the mcu was great or whatever um and or when i thought any kind of edgy 90s movie that had a gun in it was amazing like Um, what name name one of those because i bet it is (laughs) (laughs) Well, I was particularly thinking The Usual Suspects. Good um, movie. It's good, but like good I'm movie. like, this is the greatest thing. This is like the that's peak fair. of cinema. Mm-hmm. But that's um, okay. That's okay. It's, it's, right. it's okay well, to be like a 16-year-old boy and be like, The Usual Suspects is the peak of cinema. It's a good, it's a very good script that's, that's well executed. Yes. And um, there's probably other ones. Uh, but yeah, I think... I think it's important for people to just kind of be like, yeah, I liked this and now I don't like it anymore. Cause I think, I, I don't know how, I don't know if I can respect you if you're not like willing to admit you've grown when it comes to taste and not saying that anyone who likes Kevin Smith is an idiot. Um, but I think though, when you've shown that progression, I find it way more interesting. I find, I have way more respect for those people because I, I think that's it. I don't know. It's like it's it's a character thing, but it's also for like if I'm gonna respect you as a critic, I gotta know that you're able to change your opinion on things. Because then, what's the fucking point of you? Well, you guys seem um, you guys seem smart and confident in yourselves, and I think for uh, a lot of us, for me, I defined my taste and my personality uh, sort of uh, in relationship to what I didn't like or what I felt like I wasn't supposed to like for a long time. And so, I mean, and that's where, like, snobbishness comes from and, and where just being kind of a dick comes from at a young age. And it took a little while to reach a point where it's, like, uh, it's all cultural ephemera and there's something to like uh, about all of it, you know? Mm. It's kind of like someone in their 20s who says they don't like the Beatles. You're like, okay, well, don't worry. Like, in five or six years, you're going to come around because right. it's the fucking Beatles and they're awesome. And, like, it, but it's okay. Like... You can define yourself right now as a, as being someone opposed to this thing that everybody else likes, but you'll you'll come around. Yeah, yeah. I remember like I I, I hope I yeah. I hope this is I think this is what you're talking about because it's like I remember being a teen and trying to come up with 
with intelligently put critiques about things that were really popular, but realizing a famous movie like, like when I saw um, like Apocalypse Now, and I'm like, oh, well, there has to be something wrong with that because that's what I'm taught on the online yeah. generation that breeds film criticism. It's like I'm taught to pick things that CinemaSins will teach you to pick things apart like you're playing um, Operation with a movie. Um, but rather, no, it's great because it's great. Apocalypse Now is great, and you don't need to pick it apart. Uh, big or small critiques. But um, you just get to an age when you realize it's like you can, you can have your, your faults with things, but then that doesn't make you a, a, a poor uh, film enthusiast. I think when I was I'm in also, high school, my, yeah. my big critique was that things were quote-unquote unoriginal. And that was like <laughs> all that I knew how to say. And I'd be like, it's just so unoriginal, mm -hmm. you know? Because everything that I liked, in my opinion at the time, was original. <laughs> right. <laughs> and if it wasn't something that I, I liked, it was unoriginal. Right, right, right. <laughs> I remember one that I heard a lot was unrealistic. Which, I mean, with Nolan, I feel like you... I don't know. It's like you can... You can be like that he achieves it, but then that doesn't mean that it's the end-all be-all. Um, that it's, it's this idea where it's like, if it's unrealistic, then a movie will break down. But then, like, you know, there's choices being made if, if, that, if it is that, right? But it's, are, you, are you alluding to Hardy's plane still <laughs> flying at the end of the movie, even though the engines have been shot out as unrealistic? Or are you just saying in general? Oh, just in general, yeah. 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 yeah, I didn't, yeah. What... I think that one of the big criticisms of Nolan is he takes himself very, very, very seriously, and some of his movies lack any kind of, uh, you know, they they're up. It's their his movies are up their own ass and not willing to have a little fun with these kind of goofy concepts. Now, I'm not saying that is my criticism, or even if that criticism is fair, but I just hear that a lot, um, and I don't necessarily agree with that. I think I mean a lot of his movies are kind of funny. Um, I agree I with that criticism. That's my feeling about about his movies. And what I love about Dunkirk is that I think it takes what's so successful for me in his other films, which are these cross-cutting action sequences, and says, no, an entire movie is going to be right. that. Mm -hmm. And so therefore, if you, are, if you are setting me up that way, I don't need any of the sort of more human... Uh, emotional interactions that I always get, uh, that I always sort of roll my eyes at in his movies, because I don't think that he's actually that good at carrying those. Those feel very stiff, robotic. The jokes feel, if there are any jokes, feel fall kind of flat. Um, I mean, I think Heath Ledger probably transcends that when he's playing the Joker, because it's a very, you know, very good performance, and maybe even Hardy as as Bane is is kind of funny. But I also I do think, think Hardy in Inception is also like he somehow is able to burst through that uh, like the emotionalist drudge mm -hmm. sometimes. Because Inception no is the I can I can't do Inception. That because yeah. like that's yeah. the one where it really is tied with that criticism. Um, yeah. Like, well, that and, and, that's Inter and Interstellar mm -hmm. for me are 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 that. I thought both of those were uh, re very tiresome. Uh, but I mean. I, I I I hate to say this, but uh, with um, Inception, it's a really Joseph Gordon-Levitt who doesn't do it for me. Like anytime yeah, that fair. guy's on, every time that guy's on screen doing his sort of like, hey, uh, this is like it's his like pseudo, a, a, yeah. yeah, his pseudo attempt at like hot guy is like really, 
It's tr- it's very try hard. He's yeah. like the Anne Hathaway of 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 like uh, leading men. Um, and have I like seen, Anne Hathaway. Have you seen? Uh, this is kind of a tangent. Have you watched Poker Face, the Ryan Johnson, Natasha Lyonne series? No. He so it's funny. My mom just is just kind of finished watching. It. I've already seen it. Um, he's in an episode, and he's actually terrific in it. Mm. Uh, Jack, have you seen it? Wow, I haven't gotten there. Um, but I'm starting. I've started. So, but the thing is, he plays like scum, like Wall Street scum that you just want to like step on and like crush your boot with. Um, he's he's really good at that, and I think he's mostly okay in Looper. Um, but it is when he's trying to play like a somewhat normal person or like the lead lead is when it's just kind of like, okay, maybe this isn't probably the bet. Um, there's, a, there's, a, there's a great movie with him, a movie that I really love from like the early to mid 2000s called, Mis- it might be just be early 2000s called Mysterious Skin, where he plays a, a male hustler, just a, a young hustler in this small town. And he's really great in that. But what's kind of great about that is like, all of the sort of facade that he puts on later in his roles that don't feel part of the role, it feel like him trying to play the role, uh, are a part of that character in that earlier movie. You know, he's a young man right. who's trying to be perceived as sexy and above it all, but he's actually going to come crashing down. It's a really, it's a beautiful movie. Highly yeah, recommend yeah, it. Greg Araki. Um, mm-hmm. But it's it, it reminds me also of like how when he played Tom in 500 Days of Summer and it's like, the nice guy Oof. disguised as someone who's a little bit more manipulative, and it's like, it's like then it's just like, oh well, you're just tr- yeah, like that's an, that's like the first thing that came to mind where it's like, you just are putting on this disguise where we like, like everyone in the movie can kind of see through him. But let's. Uh, that's funny. Five hundred five hundred days of summer is a movie that I probably still use to define my taste as in opposition of. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I don't really like that movie. Yeah, either. it's very twee. It's very 2009. But let's go into first exposures when everyone first. I mean, what like what? I mean, what was something that we remember first about Dunkirk coming out and first exposures? Because I think a few things come to mind for me. Um, well, go such, ahead then. Such as like <laughs> the runtime being a big deal. Like that. I, I remember right. that was that was like kind of like a like a. New, that was news because like he's just not like not only is an hour and forty five minutes pretty big, but he's coming off his biggest movie like Interstellar is nearly three hours, and, and it feels and it feels pretty short yeah, for the scope of this it, is doesn't a it? Chris Nolan short it film, fucking rules I because love, of it. I, I, this is my favorite Chris Nolan of the decade, um, right right next to Prestige, Baby Prestige is, is number two. Uh, in my Chris Nolan, never but, seen it. Oh, it's quite good, but it's it's it just you're completely right. It just moves, um, but oh. even when it slows down, it, it really gives you this sense of dread. And um, even if you have no real character to anchor you through the entire thing, that's not the real objective of the movie. Um, and the the way that the timelines intersect and is then laid out for you um, in the beginning of the movie 
the first few minutes, I think is just like kind of a a really impressive feat not to make that like um, incohesive, um, it, but like really well done to 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 understand um, from a logistical and and uh, storytelling if perspective. You if 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 you because I, I don't remember the first time I saw it, if I knew that it was three separate timelines or, or how it was going like watching it this this second time this morning obviously i knew that that was the case and so i was immediately looking for when it was going to start telling me that it was it was doing that and i was watching it with my partner who had never seen it before and she uh you know it was i think it was kind of it, it, she had no idea that that's what it did and so it was like kind of disassociating yeah. at first like how like how exactly like what exactly is happening here and i had to be like well this is what the movie's doing and then she started noticing the the crossovers right right which really starts happening about halfway through if you've never seen it before but i think if you've seen it before it actually starts happening what like 30 40 minutes in like the mm -hmm. first one that i really noticed <clears throat> is after they pick up killian murphy killian right i always get this wrong <laughs> killian murphy Cillian, Killian, right? Yes, Killian. I think it's, I believe it's Killian. He's right. a he's a uh, a modern legend. He's a great mm. actor. Uh, but when they when they pick him up from the boat, they pick or from he's sitting on top of a plane that's sinking, mm -hmm. and they pick him up and they put him on their boat. And then the next cut, they cut the next thing they cut to is Tom Hardy passing over that plane, mm -hmm. almost fully submerged in water. Right. So we're seeing right now that Tom Hardy is like. Uh, catching up to them or something but that was the first moment that i saw like that they were telling you oh like uh you know past is catching up to the present, present. and the and yeah. and the and the future is 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 moving into in moving into the present kind of thing mm -hmm. right um i don't know if, if you guys noticed any other any other places before that yeah i remember clocking that actually when i saw it in theaters because i saw it in theaters um, with a few friends from high school who were who weren't who were big Chris Nolan fans, but not like toxic ones, but just people who like The Dark Knight. And um, and and I remember and my friend my friend Nick turns to me and goes like, "There he is," because uh, he's pretty smart. And uh, and and yeah, like I like that moment is is now burdened to me because it's like that's and um, there's a few other moments. Um, well, later on, where Tom Hardy such... is like circling them, and it's like, yeah, like it gives you a sense of place. There's so many um, elements that he is setting up in the movie, right? That are almost like subconscious setups in a way, right? So, like that thing that he's doing there is like letting you know that like this timeline is catching up with this timeline. But what he's also setting up so beautifully is that this is going to be like noticing these things are going to be a big part of the emotional payoff of this movie going forward and as he slowly starts stacking them throughout the movie and you get to the moment at the end nearing the end where uh i don't remember that georgie or something not georgie but the the other pilot is like come on farrier mm -hmm. come on farrier and they're watching him or like you know and they're the the timelines are really crossing over but you're still picking up on these shots just from before it's it's not an intellectual payoff anymore. It's like a, it's like an emotional payoff because he gave you that intellectual payoff at the beginning. I don't know. I was like really blown away by how, uh, I guess it's Christopher Nolan and I shouldn't be blown away. This is sort of what he does, mm -hmm. but uh, it's one of the few times I've seen his 
uh, for me, his sort of like his intellectual puzzle piece game actually pay off in an emotional way. Right, because emotions are the big swing. In basketball, there's a there's a term called a swing skill, meaning that if the it, you know this player needs to get better at this skill, and it changes the trajectory of their career. It's like a swing. It like if it if it swings that way, they unlock a whole new level and they become like they can get to be like more minutes or whatever. If they don't, they kind of stay stationary and there's not much growth to have. Um, basically, hot, you know, it's the variable. It's the independent variable. Either they do they achieve this or they don't. Uh, but that's their main weakness. And with Nolan, it's the swing. His swing scale are the emotion, the you know, the emotional intelligence, the emotional payoffs of his film, of his films. It's if you like that movie, if you like one of his movies, the emotions really worked with you. If you didn't, it probably did not. Um, like the directing is usually pretty consistent across the board of all of his films. I haven't seen a movie that I would consider poorly directed. Mm-hmm. Um, but ones work better than the others, and it's usually based in its emotion or how engaging it is. Um, I think with this one, it's for sure his most emotionally... He's almost given an assist here by the setting, um, because I think with the other films, besides maybe Interstellar, the plot itself, or you know, he has to kind of create that emotion all on his own. With this, there's some inherent baggage that he's carrying. Dunkirk is a very inspired, like, you know, there's been plenty of documentaries and I think other shit about Dunkirk. It's a very inspiring and very harrowing tale of war um, and people coming together to, you know, rescue themselves. And, you know, is World War II is inherently an emotional thing for a lot of people. And war itself. Um, but he is also able to navigate that well enough. Like, he, he, he basically, he's given the ball and he runs with it. Um, he doesn't have to create the emotional uh, foundation from scratch. And, but he's able to maneuver it well enough especially without a lot of dialogue i i this was that was the thing that blew me away this time is that and you and to almost sum it up the big line in the trailers was i've got him (laughs) that was the big line Uh if you watch those trailers like the big line is you know like colin says you know he's on me and then Hardy is, I'm on him. Yeah. That's like the big heroic line of those of, of the trailer. And the heroic line of the Something... film is, well done. Because that's what they deserve to hear at the very end. But it's like, <laughs> but so you're just, it just shows you how limited the dialogue is in general. And how, like, yeah, like there's no like real monologues besides like one or two things. Mm-hmm. I, guess, I guess the, you know, his, uh, the Kyogen's like deaf speech or whatever the fuck. Um <laughs> And maybe something that Rylance says once or twice, but it's all these very short responses, and a lot of them is just about where the fuck do we go? Like it's like, um, it, it, and he's able to craft. I, I think his actor, like this, is probably his most for his ensemble. It's the most successful ensemble of all of his films. Mm-hmm. Like everyone's kind of giving it their A game, even the unknowns. Um, and he's just, I think it's the how he crafts tension. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, 
his cross-cutting also elicits emotion in a way especially when he chooses to do or not like especially with hardy trying to decide whether to go back and you know uh, shoot down the bomber or to keep going to the beach and there's a lot of cutting that's happening in that scene that kind of accentuates the emotion because he's not saying a single fucking word he's just looking back forth back forth He's looking at his uh, 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 his fuel gauge, and he's wearing a fucking mask. You only see his eyes, and everything else is communicated with where fucking Nolan's pointing the camera and what, and what moments he chooses to cut to the other another like location. Um, do you think? Do you think that you would have as much interest in a war movie? I mean, because I have no, I have almost no interest in war movies at no, this point. Yeah, no, you know, unless it's like a classic war movie. Like, what, what, what else is there to say? Mm-hmm. Like, uh, I agree. what was the one that came out? What was the one that came out last 1917. year? Nineteen uh, seventeen. No, no, that was two, three, or four oh, years ago. All, all, all quiet all, on the Western all, Front. Yeah, yeah. Right. I didn't see it. No interest. I heard it was technically very well done. I heard it was lots of dead bodies and explosions Mm -hmm. and the gritty brutality of war. I could give a shit. I've seen it. (laughs) Saving Private Ryan did it. It was really great. You're not really going to achieve like some sort of new technical feat in a war movie. We did everything in one shot. It ended up looking like a video game. And now we're doing Saving Private Ryan again. Bullshit. Oh, 1917 sucks. And now we're doing Saving Private Ryan again and trying to sort of pass that through the filter of uh, re- grittiness and, and, and newness. But what he does so well is find a formal trick, mm-hmm. right? It's not, I, I, hate, I hesitate to call it a trick because he does it so well and truly believes in it, and it's what he does in a lot of his movies. But being kind of like looking at Dunkirk and being like, oh, okay, so this was a land, sea, and air situation. Let's tell those three stories and let's 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 and and then how do I do that differently, right? He really makes me someone who doesn't care about watching a war movie uh very interested in how he's going to pull this off. And because he's such a great filmmaker, once I'm vested in how a filmmaker is going to pull it off and I recognize that they're achieving it, uh I'm emotionally involved. Mm-hmm. And I think Dunkirk is probably one of because of that for me, it's one of the uh, one of the best war movies I've I think I've ever seen, and I think it's one of the best movies of the 2010s. Yeah. Like uh, I was pretty, uh, it was pretty staggering this morning mm-hmm. watching it and just seeing how how well he he pulls that thing off. It's great. Good morning, watch. Um, yeah, it really was. <laughs> but I think that it. I think a lot of people share that, Dunkirk, share that idea. Dunkirk in the morning, Evil Dead rise in the evening. Oh hell yeah, that's what you do. Um, that's the that's the that's the game. But it's that. like because um, I remember like something that was going around at the time was like this is not Saving Private Ryan or this is not Saving Private Ryan. This is Captain Phillips. Like this is a movie about a mission and a formal um, a formal objective. How to how to accomplish that, and because Nolan is so great, and he realizes that these are that the three compartments of like the land, air, and sea are were what brought Dunkirk to his success. It's like then he can realize like that's what I'm really good at. It's not so much like care. I mean, it's it, it that I enjoy. He, you can tell that he enjoys um, messing around with with time more than he does uh, character building. Um, 
because it's this idea that the movie doesn't have a main character and therefore like with a lot of war movies for me also it's like there's this dramatic tension that it's like you're following someone to be um, emotionally invested and to have a point of view um, and a sense of nobility they're not going to make it out like war is not for the for the, for for someone to to survive unless it's a, unless it's like a a true story re- retelling. Um, I mean, we follow but, but someone like, in movies, but it's like for here, it's for, just like that's the whole story where it's like these people get out. Like that's it's like it's a, it's a story about survival, and I think that is like what it accomplishes so well. It's just like oh yeah, like these people just um, it's about it's about persistence. You, know? you don't have to do much in 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 a war movie, right? Mm-hmm. The stakes are life or death. Yeah, it's pretty much that's 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 pretty much it. Um, and you know we follow characters in movies because there are stakes. That's pretty much it. It's like I, one of you guys were talking about the choices that the characters make. If characters didn't make choices in movies, you you wouldn't want to watch the movie. <laughs> right. <laughs> It'd be a yeah. boring movie. And yeah, this is just when like the like this is like the choices you can like the most impactful choices you could ever make in a life. Yeah. In, like, why unless people make war president. movies exactly um but i like you said though at this point all you kind of want to see is okay what is the filmmaker doing with war i like like you said everything has been said fucking paths of glory has basically said it all <laughs> like mm-hmm. like yeah. uh there's not much to say about the horrors of war and what it does to a man um but at this point, you're looking at, all right, what's going to be the inventive thing about this? Um, what is the filmmaker going to do with this format? Um, I mean, Saving Private Ryan is good, but the reason people love it, I mean, yes, the characters are well done, but it's also, look what Spielberg did with D-Day. Look how he uh, films those hor- horrific deaths, you know, like that brutality. It's like, what does Spielberg do? I mean, you have great performances, but... You can find a lot of great performances in war movies. But what makes that stand out is what Spielberg does with the scope of the war and how he how he's able to connect the characters through his filmmaking. With Nolan, it's the same, but he is adding a completely different layer to it. It could be a gimmick like 1917, but he's so committed to it and understands that it's also going to highlight everything he wants to do whether it be character whether it be scope whether it be brutality whether it be fear like he's able to have the gimmick quote-unquote be like something that's integral to the movie when it comes to 1917 it's like well this doesn't actually fucking matter yeah exactly you made a choice and you wanted to do it but this has really not this adds almost nothing you have no other great ideas here mm-hmm. besides what if we made a war movie in a oneer, and there was this guy, and he went through some shit, and that's it. And you're like, fuck no, um, I'm good. I I'm glad you can figure out how to do a oneer. Congratulations, it must have been very hard. But that's not a movie. That's an experiment. Um, and I don't and I don't mind like watching experiments, but I'm not gonna say it's like good, just because it is an experiment. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I I think this is. 
he's inherently trying to do something different. And I think that's also come... And that's why he gives those answers with the fucking... This isn't actually my war movie or whatever the fuck. Because he doesn't... Because I think he understands that. He doesn't want it to... Like, he doesn't want to be just another war movie. He's... I bet he's sick of the genre as well. Even though he's probably studied it quite uh, extensively. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think, I think and, that's and why that... he... It's like a bad word for him. Mm-hmm. I think also when you go into making a movie, whether it's a war movie or a horror movie or any other kind of movie, if you're smart, you don't want to only look at movies of that genre to influence you. You want to take in, you know, as much as you can that will pull you out of that genre. Like, it already takes place in a war. You already have boats and bombers and planes. Like, I don't, you don't really need to, like, do much more. Uh, research there once you've sort of yeah. figured out the script. How like, are you going to tell the story emotionally? I can I can read you guys some of the movies that he looked at that aren't right war movies. Please, like Alien, Speed, Unstoppable. <laughs> this is real. Um, smart. Yeah. Smart. Yeah. Smart. Chariots of Fire, Foreign Correspondent, Ryan's Daughter, like things that do have scale and are character based um, for for uh, for the action in the background that, um, you know, it's like one of the smartest decisions for me um, that the movie makes is it's not like cutting to uh, um, a fourth um, compartment where it's like the boardroom, right? Where it's like we don't cut to a Winston Churchill figure out the politics of this all because then that would be distracting. Because then like, you know, what does, I wouldn't say distracting, but what is jarring sometimes with the movie is like, some of the dialogue scenes, you're like, oh, right, like because we've been like in this chaotic mess through so much of it that once we get to like the Harry Styles um, sequence with the Frenchman, um, you're like, oh yeah, right, like these are people talking to people each other. People talk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, yeah. it's one of those yeah. things. Like, oh my god, they can talk to each other. Holy shit. <laughs> but I just, yeah. I, I just, I, mean, I love the idea of Chris Nolan firing up uh, Unstoppable. It's just it intrigues me. It may be, well, but it makes perfect sense. Yes. Oh, yes. it does. Especially an alien also mm. makes perfect sense. It's all these elements of the film, Unstoppable. He wants it to be like just absolutely mm. jammed pack with. Um, I mean, that's cross cutting mm. at its finest. Yeah. On un- mm-hmm. Unstoppable. Um, have we all seen The Wages of Fear here, the French movie uh, from the fifties? Because no. that one. Very, 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 very long time. Yeah, yeah. Because that because that one just makes perfect sense. I mean, for those that don't know, it's it's essentially this thriller uh, that you're trying to transport this cargo uh, through the forest but not but just trying not to make um, any oil rigs that are attached to the cargo explode and it's oh. and it's so tense isn't that isn't that like just like the William Friedkin movie yes no because uh, the because that, free- a, that, that, was, that a, was a remake of, a remake. Uh, of this movie yeah. oh. <laughs> but it, but it's a great fucking movie yeah the William Friedkin one funny enough I haven't seen the Friedkin but um, wow, yes. that's so good. Um, I think it's like five dollars. I can get like the Blu-ray for like five dollars. Oh, that's cool. So purchase um, now. Um, but that makes perfect sense to me. Um, just the amount of tension that's slowly built up, and it's yeah. I I know it's like that's sort of like the template for a lot of these kinds of thrillers that are trying to like transport people and things to from one location to the next. But it's like. 
He kind of nailed it. Well, it's like Alien. I mean, they all have either a you know that are filled with tension, the survivor aspect, you know, the decisions we have to make, whether it be sacrificial or the selfish ones. I mean, Unstoppable is all about like those two guys. Like, I'm gonna sacrifice myself now. No, I'm gonna sacrifice myself now. Um, and like making those heroic leaps, but also just the ugly side of surviving. Just leaving people to die in the most brutal way so you can survive yourself. Um, and, you know, and, and not saying, like, Ripley and Alien is selfish, but she has to just leave people that are horrifically murdered. Um, but, yeah, there's... there's I, I, That's a great uh, selection of films because it all taps into at least one or two aspects of the movie he's trying to make. Um, yeah, like you said... Uh, like you said, Ricky, like you don't want the, you don't want to just study the one genre and do nothing and study nothing else. You want to use the films that actually have the emotional uh, aspects and the uh, the thematic aspects to connect with your film. But also there's that that rush, you know. You want this film to be breakneck yeah. or uh, at a breakneck pace, and you want like that hour and forty minutes to like abs- to be just completely go by like nothing because mm-hmm. um, despite it being short it's a- it's still absolutely riveting like it is it is kind of crazy where it's like you you get into this momentum with the movie and it just kind of keeps bu- building builds um, and builds and builds mm-hmm. Hans Zimmer is cooking um, and Ugh. you feel you feel just like th- this thing is really timeless and you don't feel, I, I, and you can't, and you know, because we're going to bash on it some more, uh, you can't say the same for 1917, um, a movie that's even more recent. And it's like, if you look at that one again, it's just like, there's no stakes there. There's just no drama. Uh, well, well, here, it just like, it kind of escalates to the point when like, you get to like, uh, even like minor stuff in the grand scheme of things, like when, when, you you have the two soldiers running down with the um, with the gurney uh, down that plank where it's like oh it's like uh, they're just like carrying a human being. Um. I you know wonders are uh, are pretty overrated at this point I think and uh, 1917 the wonder is consistently taking away from any drama that that could possibly be there. Nolan is a from my perspective a much better filmmaker because. He doesn't feel like he has to deploy any kind of wonder to to mm-hmm. to tell the story. You know, he's a very practical filmmaker. Looks... Like he doesn't really have many like dynamic camera choices. Yeah, but he does. <laughs> like it, like he's just not like he's not showing off. Mm. But like that's more what I mean. He, yeah. but he is. I, I think if you are a person who knows like what it's like on a set <laughs> and how to get something done. You're probably watching his movies and going, Jesus, how did you do that? Like, what did you do to, like, how did you get wrangle all those people? How did you do the shot? What's VF, what's CGI? What's not? How did this work out? You know, um, whereas you watch um, something like 1917, it's like, oh, I know how you did this. Computers. <laughs> like, good for you. Uh, just um, to go, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Well, I just, uh, Jack mentioned Hans Zimmer, um, and it's so funny. My mom loves watching 60 Minutes. So after I finished the film, I, I walked in, and they were doing a, a, a profile on him, literally right after I finished the movie. Oh, wow. It was 
Um, and yeah, I just sat and I just watched it with her. And it's, and the thing is, he's brilliant and he has been like, he's defined the last, what, 10, 20 years of making scores for films mm-hmm. whether and not saying he's the best one but just in terms of impact and influence like now a lot of the people who work nowadays are acolytes of his mm-hmm. um but he I, I i love him and it but it is funny though even though he's i in my opinion one of our best he has made so many scores that a lot of them aren't that great mm-hmm. Um, but he still oh. gives you one of these that are like like time like like um, I mean Inception and speaking of Man and Ste- Man of Steel and like and of course the smaller films but just some of these like bombastic scores in Interstellar it's like this is just incredible pieces of music. The same thing will be said for Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross, right? They're gonna mm-hmm. have their Social Network score or their score for a Fincher movie uh, or somebody else, and then they're gonna have like a Bird Box score that they throw out like really quickly because right. they're you know they're making money they're they're doing their job yeah i don't know if this is his best collaboration with nolan but i mean it's one of the best pairs like they, they were made for each other that pure not Zimmer anymore he is, didn't he didn't do the score for tenet or oppenheimer yeah it's ludwig no. did did ludwig also do um Oppenheimer. Yeah. 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 And I think and Ludwig is not an acolyte, but I think is also but I think has worked with Zimmer. Um you know, Ludwig comes from like rap music. Like he produced he's like a Donald Glover guy. He like yeah. produced a lot of Red Donald Glover's music. And, um Make um, it my love. But yeah, and like but you look at, you know, Junkie XL or I think like Lauren Balfi and like some of these guys and some of them are much better than others, but are like direct almost I don't like descendants of Zimmer mm-hmm. um but what was I gonna say yeah I mean him and Nolan were just made for each other in, mm-hmm. his, in the sense of Zimmer works so well with scale and he can carry an emotional scene almost all by himself sometimes um and it, like so um at this point I think the Inception and Dark Knight scores are like iconic status um right and I think the Dunes, the Dune, I think Dune is like where he's like really putting a lot of time for the for the sequel and like whatever's afterwards. Um, I'm just going through his his late 2010s again, just to see Hans Zimmer and just seeing if there's anything important that we're missing. I guess like we've talked about a few of his other movies, of course, like Twelve Years a Slave and Blade Runner 2049. But um, yeah, he's just sort of like a consistent like iconic composer who people I think because of Nolan really like because of dark I mean I think to me like because of Dark Knight and Inception people just know what Hans Zimmer's music sounds like um, especially the blockbusters Um, but they don't it's funny maybe modern Zimmer but they don't understand any of his actual progression. Mm-hmm. This is the same guy who did the fucking Lion King. Yeah. He, they are, they, you know, seeing him now as the He James L. Brooks guy. movies, you know? It's like... Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, he fucking, and like, you know, in Gladiator, while it's, you know, not necessarily a huge departure from the films he's making nowadays, but it still, like, has, like, like insanely emotional music that kind of describes, like, that is 
the key for a lot of those scenes of Maximus like looking back on his life or whatever. Like he's I he's a I I just love what he's how his careers progress, how diverse it is, even though if all of them aren't great. And I also really you can really tell when he pairs so well with a filmmaker like Zack Snyder. Um, even though I know some people don't love like the BVS score or whatever, but I think his Man of Steel score mm-hmm. is pretty incredible. Because um, he didn't he compose I, that with Junkie XL. Or yes. Am I confused? Yeah. Um, no, you are correct. Yeah. Uh, but what was I going to say? But yeah, so it's like you're yes, you're going to get an X Men Dark Phoenix once in a while from the guy, but oh, that th- then you're going to get a Dunkirk, mm-hmm. and then you you know see him pair so perfectly with a filmmaker that it just kind of it makes you happy to yeah. see because it. He is so integral to so many of the films he's worked on. Um, like mm-hmm. the scene when you when you remember a scene from a Nolan film, you could almost hear Zimmer's music. Mm-hmm. Um, if we if we wanted to talk more about the crew of the movie, I think one of my favorite working cinematographers is Hoyt Van Hoytema, who like it, it just like insane work here. Um, I find, incredible. yeah, incredible work, and I find like the transition from IMAX to other formats Ugh. is Ugh. so well done. I think it's mostly just like the um, Dawson and George and Peter scenes, but that that's not IMAX or something. But it's like so that that is well done. But it's just like some of the haunting images, like the the soldier walking into the water. Uh, not to return is like <laughs> so, so haunting. Um, that's another that, shot in the trailer that was like yeah. the big. Like, that's oh, right. Damn. Mm-hmm. Does he not return, or do we just not s- see him return? I was waiting for like a cutback to the water and him not being there and being gone, but we really just see him dive in. Yeah. And then we see the. I'm guessing of the he kid. was trying to commit suicide. Yeah, I don't that's think my. That's, that's the Im- implication. Uh, like he just I think to take his that's one of those things where people, right? I think that's when people are like, "Oh, yeah, he's mm-hmm. doing it." Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but of course, like has has like such a, a selective 2010s with um, a shooting Spectre, Interstellar, her, um, Ad Astra, right in this, like, um, yeah, just like an exceptional craftsman. Um. Yeah, he's a, he's a, he's amazing, and I think if you have the budget to do it, you hire him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, look at Nope. He's like, the guy. Yeah. Yeah, he's the guy who's gonna get you those those big vistas, those mm-hmm. big beautiful vista images. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Some of those shots of the basically the ocean like being the like main like enveloping this uh, frame while all, but while having those in, and also like the sky of the sun and those planes kind of being. Just kind of like little ants. Yeah. Um, so oh, it looks so amazing. Uh, yeah. Anytime they 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 cut to an IMAX shot of the fighter pl- uh, the fighter uh, or the dog fights mm-hmm. is so so good. Um, Even the shots that aren't very flashy, like like you have the moment of the group of shol- the group of soldiers just like walking in a group like from one end of the beach to the other, and it's just like it, even that is just like so well composed and. Um, and, uh, and now that Nolan has gotten to a story where he can let the camera do all of this or carry so much of the weight of the storytelling, 
it, it, it really pays off like a slot machine. He's trusting all of his visual instincts here and mm-hmm. is avoiding. And people, I think the biggest criticism of him in general is his writing. Um, and this is the film that kind of helps offset that weakness because um, he just doesn't have much to write. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, he has the broad strokes, of course, of the plot and, like, decisions that characters must make, but when it comes to dialogue and mm-hmm. emotional moments, he allows his visuals and, like, the actors kind of operating by themselves in a way to do the work, which I think is very effective yeah. here and why this film almost stands out amongst all the others. For, for an occasion where he can be as clinical and as, like... Um, um, logistical of, of a filmmaker as he, as Don, as a story like Dunkirk imagines him, it makes just complete sense. Because I think one of my earliest Chris Nolan memories, um, like of the person, not just his movies, was like being shown Memento in a high school film class, and then immediately after that was that that screening was over. We saw this, we, the first time I think I'd ever seen Chris Nolan talk about his movies was like he was in front of this whiteboard and the timeline of Memento was like, it, it, oh, he yeah. like I've took the, that. yeah, right, you know, talk, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, the circle. Like the circle, yep, yep. And of course it's like, you know, he has like that floppy hair that's like slicked back and in a suit, like I'm sure we all imagine like the scarf and it's like, the, he looks like a professor and he's drawing out his own movies as if he's teaching you um, a, a lesson about it, and that—that that is always who no one is, is going to be to me. Um, of course, he, like you don't have to see that memento explained vid that he that he made to to realize that. But it's like that that assures you that um, someone who is so confident in in his storytelling isn't always the most um, emotionally. Sure. I mean, we're, we're not saying anything new, but I think it, it rings true to why Dunkirk works so well. And um, it's got a bunch of good-looking boys. <laughs> yeah, that too. This too. I mean, I was just reminded of, um, of how unfair, like, grossly unfair Jack Loudon's life is. Because you can't be in the new Terrence Davies movie and date Saoirse Ronan and have the rumor that you're considered for Bond. Like, you can't have everything and be great in this. Now I'm anti-Jack Cloud. Uh, no. Oh, uh, yeah. What, ha- what, what happened to this guy? I was wondering while I was watching it. He had, like, a... Is he rumored for Bond now? That I, it, was, it was a tweet that was... It was, like a, it was, like, a thing, like, months ago. I don't know if it still holds any weight, but it's, like... You know, you'll you'll see things, and you're like, oh, is this true? But with him, I think you could really see it, and I wouldn't be surprised if he's actually in the running, but I haven't heard it in a while. Um, yeah, he was in uh, one of the Small Axe movies, too, um, the first one. Right. Yeah. And right, Benediction, right. Mm-hmm. Um, which was very well received. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean... Great movie. He's... He's yeah, he's a very cute boy. Um, I would watch him do other stuff. Yeah, I, I mean, uh, this I entire have... cast is good. Like Fionn Whitehead, who was sort of set up as our POV, just sort of like blends into the rest of the movie um, as someone who's just who's just seeking any any hope. Um, and I mean, like speaking of integration, but Harry Styles, um, actually quite weakest goodness. link. But still good, like not not distracting. 
which is not impressive. distracting because they like Nolan has done a pretty good job of basically like telling everybody do not act <laughs> just <laughs> say your like like yeah. we have Mark Rylance and he's going to act and and that's that's pretty much it mm-hmm. but Styles I found everything that came out of his mouth to be a little suspect yeah I think those those guys like the pale British white boys um, I think they their acting is filled by or, or, or is like and uh, what's it is fueled by the tension and the circumstance of the scene rather than any of the emotion. It's like this is a really tense scene. I have to be intense. Oh my god, I'm scared. Mm-hmm. Like um, it's it's a very reactive performance, right? Yeah. And I don't and I, yeah, I think they're fine. Um, I think the big criticism is that they're not actually like characters. Uh, which I can understand, um, but to me it's. But of course, you need characters to make a fucking movie and to be like an impactful story. But Nolan is so in his wheelhouse and is operating on this such his own specific frequency to make his movie and make. He's not maybe a character, but like. I don't know, just the format and the execution of, like, the technical aspects while also just, like, how he maneuvers with time. I mean, this film, I think people obviously made the very broad connection that this man is obsessed with time. And after this is Tenet. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, you know, you have... I mean, the score you know, is famously recorded with a stopwatch. Right? Literally, right. in the music is... Uh... You have Memento, you have... Um, you have Interstellar, you have Inception, you have this, and you have um, uh, Tenet. And, like, they're all, bur- like, it's all him trying to manipulate or understand the manipulation of time and how that drives characters and drives story. Um, and it's great to think about. And some of it is much more, you know, some of the, some of the more, ex- the, the, those ideas are executed better um, in, in some of them versus others. But, I, it's I I've liked that journey and obviously and people have it's kind of a meme now it's a cliche, um, but I still find it interesting what he's trying to do with it and how he's having that kind of dictate how he formats his own movies. Um, I don't think I can't think of a filmmaker who's so who's so dedicated to time as a concept to kind of to it be like the bones of a lot of his movies. I think that's very interesting. Rather, if it, you know, is it executed well? That's up to you. But I, I love the commitment he has to it, because he's really definitely, like, yeah. I was gonna say, it definitely made me want to go back and watch Memento. You know, essentially his thesis statement as a filmmaker. Right. I haven't seen it since high school, probably. Yeah. Yeah, it's been a while for me, me too. Mm-hmm. Nolan was my guy when I got into film, and he's still kind of my guy. Um. I don't. Are you excited really for Oppenheimer? Dis- yes. Yeah. I, I, I mean, okay. I'm also a Killian Murphy slut. This is true. Um, so I will watch. You have the cardboard cutout in the background, anyway. of your room. I'm yeah. the fuck. I'm the fucking guy who watched Peaky Blinders because of him. So it's like I'm, I'm, I'm a big Killian fan. But I, no, I, I've always waited for him to be the star, like the 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 pinnacle star of his own film. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, yes, Nolan is just a fascinating filmmaker for me. I don't really dislike any of his movies. 
things. Some I like way more than others, but I can't I can't think of a time when I've been because even his cliches, even his blunt emotional manipulation that can be that is a, a complete understandably like alienating thing for a lot of viewers. To me, I just I don't know, man. I'm just carried by how he makes a movie. I just like what he does, how he structures a film. Um, it just it scratches an itch for me. Yeah. That not a like ton of dirt. Like he's yeah, and like you know he's clinical and he's very meticulous and all those things. But I also just like watching the dude work. Mm-hmm. He's a very intelligent director, and no one makes movies. Um, at his scale, that's quite this sophisticated. Um, especially when, I mean, it's funny, because, like, Dunkirk, um, Dark Knight Rises, Inception, and then the 2020s all have this July date that he has circled it, with with Warner, I mean, with Warner Brothers, now Universal, but... Um, and, he, and he loves that, that dead of summer, like, announcing yourself as, like, I am, I, I mean, so me and I'm sure many others, like, I am your alternative to something that will, like, take its time um, and treat the audience more intelligently, opposed to, like, a lot of summers in the, in the 2010s that really dried up. Only he can make Oppenheimer a blockbuster. Right. He's his own event now. He, yeah, I mean, well, he hasn't. He hasn't yet. So, well, true. <laughs> yeah. But like, I mean, in terms of marketability and scale and excitement and mm-hmm. like awareness, like that movie shouldn't be known by like a ton of people that it's mm-hmm. coming out. Yeah, and now that I, it's I, and now I, that it's double build with Barbie, it's gonna be like way bigger. Like that. I agree, like, and and I and I disagree. Like so much of that movie. Is, is that the studio is willing to put up the money to market it? True, obviously, make it, make it a thing, but they're willing to do that because they trust Christopher Nolan as a filmmaker to do something on that scale that is interesting and that is going to move an audience. I do think his name does something. I don't know, but at the same time, like, no, you're 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 basically right. I guess I just wish they did it with more filmmakers. You know, right? But they do it with like. They really do it with like him and Tarantino. Yeah, those are really the two. Yeah, if even Wes Anderson doesn't get that treatment. I mean, if, he does, no, but not yeah. as not to the extent. If there's well, anyone, no, so he gets that he gets that marketing treatment because his movies cost like twenty five million dollars. Right. It's true. <laughs> no, it's true. He's not spending one hundred and fifty or two hundred million. And he makes and such good Tarant- use out of that money too, which is um, yeah. I think yeah. Jordan. I mean, Peele's I bet next. Asteroid City costs a little more yeah. than that, but yeah. Uh, Peel, Jordan Peele Peel is next. Is, so he really is a, a brand name. Yeah. But Peele's uh, box office has, I think, gone down per movie. Uh, like yeah, it's done probably. well. But I, I think done they're well, all... but they've gone down. You know? Right, and I, I think the issue is Get Out started off so hot mm-hmm. that it's only going to look worse from there. But. Mm-hmm. I, I guess I say Peel because... I loved Nope. I thought Nope was wonderful. Yeah, oh, Nope, nope was Nope was amazing. Yeah. But if I tell people, like, it's one of those things, Chris Nolan, my uncle knows who Chris Nolan is. My dad knows who my, Chris Nolan is, yeah. yeah. Right, and now my cousin yeah. knows who yeah. Jordan Peel is. Yeah. yeah. And that and, no, and that's kind of my yeah, no, in yeah. a way. Has Aster hit that yet? No. Ari Aster? No? No. 
I, okay. yeah, he's I think close. He was close. He was he was close. I think Bo's Afraid turned a lot of people off. Like, I don't know a Too single bad. person that I modern, I even modern masterpiece. Because modern masterpiece. <laughs> That Seriously. that's a lot to unpack, yeah. But it, it's like that 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 he and we were off pod talking about Hereditary, big hit. I have a lot of friends that saw it and enjoy it. Um, Midsummer, I have a lot of friends that saw it and really enjoyed it even more. I don't know a soul that has seen Bo's Afraid, a, a, aside from like yeah, even the people who like him, yeah, like even the like, people who like him haven't necessarily seen it. Yeah, I, I like the I, movie, but I like him. I like him just fine. Mm-hmm. I loved. Bo is afraid. Yeah. I thought Bo is afraid is That's a so immediate immediate classic. Yeah, the stuff of legends. The only <laughs> only a hero would make a movie like that. It's a the return home making. on the hero. He's not the hero we deserve, but it's the hero the we need. need. Yes. Yeah, sure. Yeah. I think it's I like the one that. we deserve too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, I know, yeah. but that wasn't the Dark Knight quote. I, I, you know, I <laughs> yeah. yeah, you had to mix it up. The reason why I have I love this movie so much, and Nolan in general is. And like that's and like why Inception works for me is that I'm a I, I almost identify as a cross cutting slut. Like I <laughs> I was think I was gonna bring this up. That's right. Yeah, and it's this is a movie that's Tony just that. Scott. Yeah. I just I like you highlight that in fav- in our Dragon Tattoo episode, of course. At, um, yes, and I thought of that, and it's usually my favorite part of the movie is a great cross cutting set piece, and this movie is enti- the entirety of that. It's just my one of my it's just my favorite thing to do and like just watch and film, um, and that's why I like. Um, uh, Colette Sarah a lot is because mm-hmm. he is a real. I, I call I call him a, a cross cutting god. Um, obviously, he's not to the level of Tony Scott, but with the trash that he just elevates his trash by his cro- like his you know direct direction and his like choices of cross cutting and his and how he like formulates set set pieces and stuff. But yeah, that's it's my favorite thing in fucking film, and this movie is just who, the perfect. Who is Colette Sarah? What is he doing? Uh, Jamel Colette Sarah, nonstop, unknown. Um, oh yeah, 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 yeah. I saw nonstop. I liked it. Yeah, like, he's fun. He's trash. Yeah, like in the or in the first orphan movie, but he's like he makes like Ooh. you know like like he makes the first kind of orphan tra- movie is a uh, very present present of mine right now because I watched the Curious Case of Natalia Grace over the weekend. I don't know if you guys have seen that. I'm it's a trashy, it up right now. it's a trashy like six part documentary from ID Discovery about uh, a little girl uh, who uh, was a dwarf or is a dwarf, and her adopted parents um, changed her age to twenty two, said that she was crazy, and abandoned her. Oh <laughs> Jesus my Christ! It's, it's wild. It's a wild, wild story. It's like a very trashy, you know, tabloid documentary, but the characters are so. Guffman like <laughs> that you can't stop watching it and yeah. the guy that is like a credited producer who's kind of like trying to tell his story is so insane uh and such a showboat it's uh look it's trash but it's 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 worth a watch that's how we feel sometimes about the staircase documentary because it's not so much like that that's a very like emotionally heavy story but it's like the way that it's put together is like a little like it's not the most like sharp, but it's 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 interesting. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, I, I let's was get to favorite scene. Yeah, let's get to favorite scene real oh, fast. Cool. I um I was gonna look up like it's it, we should mention that it won the Oscar for score and editing. Should have won best picture. What, it, what what won best picture that year? That was this was Shape of Water year. Oh. Yeah, not my pick oh, either. But 2017, God. of course, is uh, 
is Phantom is, Thread is, is tagged Lady as Bird, like a, a really dominant Get um, Out Oscars year. But I was gonna say it's pretty funny to think that the editor of Dunkirk that won the Oscar, Lee Smith, who is a frequent collaborator of Nolan, goes on to edit 1917. <laughs> um, funny. Yeah, how very how, funny. How interesting. Um, but he did a good job, I guess. He did, he did a good job. He edited the movie. Um, but, uh, yeah, Ricky, this is the part of the show when we pick our favorite scene from the movie. If anything comes to mind for you first, please go. Tables uh, I mean, uh, this is really... Uh, can I pick a few? Yeah, sure. I, I was thinking about this, because favorite scene is going to be a little hard, because it's like these are a lot of moments. And, like, you know... Uh, yeah, I mean, right off the bat, I love the moment where he is setting up to take a shit and he meets the Frenchman and the Frenchman's burying someone and he helps bury it. Just like the way that they forge that connection so quickly without words and uh, so succinctly and how the Frenchman's, all of his maneuvers and the way that he acts suddenly makes sense when it comes out that he's French and he's trying to stow away. Uh, that's definitely more than one scene. It's like an entire character arc, but the setup for it in that scene, I think, is really great. Um, and if I'm going really basic, you know, when we Kenneth Branagh says he sees home and all those fucking ships are coming in, right? Uh, how can you deny mm-hmm. it? It's yeah. it's just incredibly moving and well done, uh, dudes rock cinema. It's great stuff. And then when, later on, when he's asking everyone where where they're from and they're from all different parts of the country it's it's um i think on the Taren- the the dunkirk rewatchables tarantino describes it as distinctly british like all these older generations are going to go out to their ships save the the um um the the soldiers and it's and it's yeah and it's like this idea right. that the american he, version of that would be like a bunch of people in cars <laughs> <laughs> showing yeah, up in right, right. yeah, um, showing like, up in their trucks yeah, and like yeah. it'd be a fucking, it'd, it'd be it'd be like what a Trump rally looks like. Like that's what <laughs> yes. a Trump rally imagines itself as. Yes, yes. They are the Dunkirk of America, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and um, yeah, and I, I I um, I can imagine so that it's like when Brana like in the American version asks like, "Where are you from?" Like it's all a bunch of like hong like horns honking, all at once. And, um, right. Yeah, it's all yeah, I love them. All yeah, my trucks. All my They're truck. here. <laughs> the Looks exhaust, like home. The exhaust is like getting this dark cloud yeah. above it all. Yeah. Huge, um, huge <laughs> flags, you know, uh, hanging off the bed USA, of the truck. USA, yeah. USA yeah. rocks, yeah. Um, Pedo, Pedo Biden or something <laughs> on it, like some sort of, yeah. you know. Yeah. Uh, um, but yeah, and so that scene, and uh, it, it is really hard to say because it's not like really like, it, the whole thing feels like one scene, but I, I you know, yeah, I'm having a this, super hard time picking yeah. a scene. And this isn't a scene, but it'll be the last one that I say. But the midpoint of the movie, where it's like there's been a huge crescendo, and then suddenly everything sort of calms, and we're on the beach, and we're watching Branagh walk, and I can't really describe much more about what's happening, but is a distinctly middle of the movie, right? Because everything kind of calms down, and then all of a sudden someone says something that re-raises the stakes. And it's like very much a screenwriting 101 thing. Like midpoint of the movie, this is what happens. And the movie does it. And there's something about the way that this movie does it. It feels, 
that's like kind of beautiful because it's been building and building and building and building and building and it feels so sort of antithetical to like the screenwriter 101 books and then all of a sudden it drops right back into pocket and it's like no i am a mainstream movie i am for a very large audience and this is what you do at this point in the movie in order to keep the audience like a big audience with you and i kind of i kind of like noticing that and uh recognizing that nolan is still sort of uh following the formula a little bit even though yeah. he's breaking it that's my that's that's my piece you guys come up with some some fun shit now So I thought of it. I want to just take the first twenty minutes in general. Obviously, I can't do that. But like, that'll be one of the most uploaded to this. One one of the most iconic openings in Nolan's filmography. Uh, them walking through that street and the um. Them I would even go as far to say like one of the most iconic openings of the decade. Yes, I mean yeah. it's sound design up the wazoo. Um, it is so horrifying. There is no real thought. There's no like conflict. It's just people being mowed down. Mm-hmm. Um, it come. You don't see. It's like these mysterious shots. I don't think you see almost a single German in this film. Um, 
I but I think the moment that stood out to me was him on the beach when that first dive bomb comes in and everyone's starting to freak out. They look up and then uh, whatever his fucking name, Tommy or some shit, he collapses on the beach, you know, goes down for cover, holds his head, mm-hmm. and you see just the shots and the, the bombs dropping in the background and these explode, this huge explosion of sand behind him and how, you know, he's just holding his ears, barely he, only hearing, like, the impacts or the vibrations. Mm-hmm. And it and you see it almost just hit him because it's going straight in a line and he's not mm-hmm. looking terrified out of his mind. I mean, it's just perfect. Perfect, perfect, perfect. It's grenadiers, mate. of something we haven't discussed yet to pick for favorite scene. Um, Whatever pops in your head. I think, yeah, and I don't, I don't think that there is much that we haven't discussed. And with that, I'll just say something that really stuck with me was, like I mentioned before, when the movie really slows down and it's sort of like um, overcast. I guess the movie's mostly overcast, but it's like a really harsh overcast and you have like Finn... Whitehead and Fiona Whitehead, Whitehead and Harry Styles, they're sitting down, and then they've noticed the soldier that goes and walks into the ocean um, and, and wants to take um, his own life when, when he knows that there's, or when he realizes that there's no escape. And uh, there's a bit of humanity in that, but it's, it's, just, it's just very harrowing, and, and it's a moment that really stuck, because it's just like, um, even, even in a movie that, that is continually escalating 
it can find moments where it, it, it does like and there's no emotion they don't wisely. emote yeah. when that happens they kind of just right. like look right. and they're right. just like dead eyed it's really yeah. yeah yeah that's that's when like that's when some of the coldness of nolan really becomes a quirk or not a quirk mm-hmm. a, a pro instead of a con Mm-hmm. Um, when does when does that happen in the movie? Like Can I ask? Like, do you have right, a right right the middle? Right, yeah, a little. I think a little after the middle because they 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 Styles and Wolfhart and the French guy just come back after their first ship sunk and they just got back on the ocean. They're waiting around for whatever they're they're gonna do yeah. next. Right. So that's post the the sort of like uh end of end of end of the first half of the movie spectacle and that's the midpoint and the midpoint is watching someone kill himself because he doesn't think that they're going to be saved so it's the raising of the stakes either you're going to kill yourself or you're going to die or you're going to be saved like re either raising or restating and that's what i meant by like loving when a movie that feels so far away from uh like all of the obvious screenwriting ticks suddenly reminds you that it is actually following those two because they are kind mm-hmm. of, if done well, what make a great movie. Right. Anyway. And those are, it's, it's another reminder um, why those are screenwriting roles. And it's like, yeah. yes, you can subvert them, but it's like when they're done well, um, it's a reminder like, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's quite effective. But. Disappear for when the water comes in. 
Uh, Ricky, thank you so much for being here. This is no, thank you for having me. Delight for having you. Um, yeah, if you, thank you. If you have anything else to, to plug or promote right now, you're still off Twitter, I think. I am off. Um, I'm, yeah, yeah. I've, um, I've left Twitter. I'm pretty sure at this point my account is uh, completely inactive or deleted or however it goes. Um, and I'm off Facebook, and I haven't used my Instagram in a while. Good so for I'm, you, I'm in, my I'm in, yeah, the, I'm I in the darkness. Yeah, that's great. I'm yeah. in the darkness. It's been kind of nice. We're proud of uh, you. Yeah, thank you. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I feel like uh, maybe just because I suffer from the narcissism that like if I feel a certain way, everybody else does. But I, 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 I'm thinking people are going to come around to it a little more. Because it's nice. Uh, but do I have anything to promote? No, not yet. Soon uh, there will be some stuff in a, a few months. But nothing to talk about yet. Cool. so yeah, check me out uh i guess people say check me out on twitter it's like you know check me out if you see me walking around new york city say hi <laughs> but don't just actually because i don't i don't think i would like that <laughs> just google them figure out what yeah, to yeah, read from google there yeah. yeah um listen to 30 years later i suppose the, oh yes the our podcast, podcast which we've yeah. also taken a hiatus from <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh go back to the archive see you know listen, yeah. listen yeah. to some old episodes yeah that's true well, yeah. guys, thank you so much for having me. Appreciate oh, of course. It. Um, this episode will be out in about three or four weeks, but I'll probably try to time it with uh, with Oppenheimer, or at least not too far from it. Cool. Um, cool. You can find me on Twitter at Jack A. Draper and at Letterbox at the same. This movie is available at Netflix, um, but I'm not sure if there were any other streamers that do have it. That's just where I saw it. Um, oh, was it on Netflix? Maybe. I rented it because I didn't know. Cause oh, yeah, I didn't see it on Netflix either. I just I, yeah. I buried through my boxes to find my 4K of it. Oh, that's too funny. Um, well, I bet that looks really yeah. nice. Oh, yeah. so good. So yeah, did it look nice? Yeah, yeah that's nice. Um, yeah, next episode will be the start of our Duos Month, which we're very Double excited trouble. for as we approach 200 episodes we decided to invite guests back who are friends with each other and who have been on the pod before, but now they're back to choose a movie that they both love together. Um, I, th- I, think, I think we could say that this, this will be a um, quite unhinged lineup. Of, it's a double of date month. And it's a double, it's a date, double month. date month. I like that. Uh, that's what I should have called it. Um, why, didn't, why didn't we come up with that sooner? The double date month will start with... Oh boy, Logan Kenny and Greg Hill Turner returning for 2010's The Other Guys. I'm a peacock. Um, you gotta let me what, fly. What? How else do we start that off than um, Adam McKay's last good film? But um, uh, you guys can check us out at the places that uh, Clay will tell you about now. Uh, everyone, follow us on Twitter at uh, uh, mm-hmm. fucking. Oh shit, man, you got me mixed up. Okay. You can follow me on Twitter at Birds of Clay and on Letterbox at Birds of Clay. You can follow me on Instagram at Mr. Clay Williams. You can follow the podcast Twitter account at ETC Pod. You can send us an email at exiting3-2010s at gmail.com. Please remember to rate, review, subscribe. Give us five stars on any podcast platform you listen to us on to. Greatly appreciated. Retweet, share us with a friend. Uh, run up to someone in the middle of the street. Um, say, I got him. And if you, if you run up to Ricky in the middle of the street... Uh, just, well, don't... Just well, say, that, yeah. that would be useless from what I'm about to say because... <laughs> Run up to someone on the street that is a stranger, say, I got him, and say, go listen to Exiting Through the 2010s, and then uh, run away. Yeah. 
Right. Um, and be good to yourself, stay safe, and we will catch you next time on Exiting Through the 2010s. Bravo. Hey, very good.